see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Ready for Close-Up. I'm here again with Sam. Hi, Sam. Good evening, Andy. And today we want to start a new series focusing on master directors. For each episode of this series, we will take a closer look at one filmmaker in particular, his style, reputation and creative output, as well as his influence and a close-up on two important movies. For our first episode in this series, we choose to present Alfred Hitchcock, the master of suspense. We have talked about him and several of his movies already in previous episodes, but now we want to explore his life, his style and influence on cinema. And we will have a closer look at two of his films, namely Rear Window and The Lady Vanishes. Join us for a close-up on master director Alfred Hitchcock. Welcome to the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. So, Sam, can you tell us a little bit more about Alfred Hitchcock and his life? But of course. Alfred Hitchcock, born in 1899 as the son of a London greengrocer, is easily the most famous and instantly recognizable director of all movie history. He directed over 50 feature films, 20 television episodes, in two series carrying his own name, as well as a number of little-known, interesting propaganda films during World War II. He might be most readily associated with psychological thrillers like Psycho, Vertigo and The Birds. But he was a master of many genres. First and foremost, spy thrillers like The Man You Knew Too Much, in two versions, The 39 Steps, Notorious or North by Northwest. High drama, as in Rebecca, Spellbound or Marnie, murder mysteries as in The Lodger, Rope, Dial M for Murder, Strangers on a Train and Frenzy, but also quirky comedies like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the original version, and The Trouble with Harry. His favorite topic generally was throwing the everyday man or woman from their everyday lives into a whirlpool of danger and excitement. Some of his favorite movies, Shadow of a Doubt and Rear Window are the best examples for this preoccupation with domestic disturbances. His career spanned five decades and can roughly be characterized by two things, continuity and innovation. Continuity in the sense that the themes he was interested in can be traced from his earliest to his last successes, gruesome killers and elegant villains and dames, wrongly accused protagonists, international mystery and domestic danger. His work, however, is also one of continued innovation and curiosity. Hitch began in 1920s Berlin, soaking up the expressionism of Weimar cinema, working on title cards at first. When he met his later wife, Alma Revelle, she was actually the more experienced filmmaker, but then put her lifelong efforts into supporting her husband co-writing screenplays, choosing actors and collaborators, and hosting countless dinner parties. Hitchcock movies are a kaleidoscope of cinema history. Starting with excellent silent movies, 
the Lodger being the most famous one. His first talkie, blackmail, was a major public event. He spent the 1930s in British cinema, creating a famous brand of his name with crowd pleasers like the original The Man Who Knew Too Much, The 39 Steps and The Lady Vanishes, while at the same time trying to get his foot into the Hollywood door. When he sailed for America just before World War II, it was in an unhappy contract with David O. Selznick, famous producer of Gone with the Wind. But he got instant recognition with Rebecca and Suspicion. His best films of the 1940s were often made outside of the Selznick contract, however, most notably Foreign Correspondent and Shadow of a Doubt. Hitchcock's personal favorite. Spellbound and Notorious. Soon he had made the careers of stars like Cary Grant, Joan Fontaine, Ingrid Bergman, Grace Kelly and James Stewart. His most successful period started in the 1950s, where he created both cinema classics like Rear Window, Vertigo and North by Northwest, while directing and producing two television shows, Alfred Hitchcock Presents and The Alfred Hitchcock Hour. The late 50s and early 60s were certainly the peak of his career and were further fueled by the success of the first true slasher, Psycho, and the almost experimental The Birds. His contract at Universal Studios made sure he continued to make movies throughout the 60s, but his style suddenly seemed at odds with new Hollywood trends at first. Marnie, Torn Curtain and Topaz were failures at the box office, but have been reappreciated since. He briefly returned to form when returning to London for the controversial slasher Frenzy and his swan song Family Plot. A final film? The Short Night was prepared, but Hitchcock was too frail to complete it, and he died in April of 1980. He never received an Oscar for any of his work except for an honorary award. But French critics, like Eric Romer and François Truffaut, made sure he became appreciated as the greatest director, the master of suspense. Many of his films were only re-released after his death, and his name has become more and more famous ever since, making him truly the most iconic of all directors, influencing countless filmmakers, inspiring remakes, and coining entire phrases like Hitchcockian, Suspense, or The MacGuffin. Well, thank you, Sam, for this overview on Hitchcock's life. Let's talk a little bit more about his style. Uh, let's discuss, what do you think, what makes this director, Alfred Hitchcock, so unique and memorable? Well, first and foremost, I think it's his meticulously planned plots that he then puts into memorable scenes and set pieces. Many of those scenes are really iconic. If you think of the crop duster scene in North by Northwest, if you think of the fall from the tower in Vertigo, or of course the infamous shower scene in, in Psycho. What about you? What's something that comes to mind when you think of Hitchcock's style? Many of his movies have this very innovative and, and perfect use of, of technology. So there is a lot of craftsmanship behind this. So you can really see that the camera angles, the color schemes, for example, in, in movies like Marnie, but also the costumes, for example, in Dial M for Murder, the costumes of Grace Kelly are changing throughout the movie and they always express emotion. So I think 
the technicality of, of, of color is really strong in Hitchcock movies, but also the sound and music, of course, um, Bernard Herrmann that we've also discussed in previous episodes. And I think he has always been, what you discussed or explained before, he has always been at the pulse of time. He was always there to innovate and try new things. And from a technical point of view, he has been very innovative. I mean, also Vertigo with these... Um, zooming in and going back with the camera and creating these new images which then has become copied endlessly so i think the technical aspect is really really great in, in hitchcock even down to black and white photography if you think of you know changing costumes he even changed the color of the underwear of janet lee going from white you know being innocent to black once she's stolen the money from her boss so even 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 that yes <laughs> i think yeah when you, when you watch a hitchcock movie there's always this this excellent building up of suspense you know while while at the same time offering something funny there's always you have these scenes of intense suspense where it's really thrilling but very often there's also this break with with comic relief with fun with quirky side characters that are you know, I th I think like the mother in North by Northwest, for example, is is like someone. There's always this tension over Cary Grant, or or he doesn't know what's happening to him, and then this very funny mother comes into scenes, and she has actually no function within the storyline, but she's just funny. So I think there 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 are many examples. I think this is just one, but I think they're the characters are funny. Yeah, that in general, there are these deeply clever insights into the human psyche. I think that characters feel really real and moral ambiguities they have and that the drama they're in or the decisions they have to take, they, they're really profound. And I think that's also what connects the audience to, to the movies and the characters. And what goes together with that, I think he's an extremely good observer of people. You know, even the characters mm -hmm. who don't have any dialogue, the quirky side characters, they really stick out. He's a great observer. And I think many great directors are great observers of um, humanity, of, of people. And I think for me, watching Hitchcock, I always noticed that he's so great at silent movies. And I don't only mean the silent movies that are actually silent, but even the ones where the sound comes in. So in Hitchcock, the images tell you everything and the dialogue often comes second. So there's a great scene in, in Marnie that I remember when they come back from their honeymoon and they're actually in the entrance hall and they have some kind of conversation, but it's all about the looks between characters, kind of the, the curiosity, the jealousy, um, the anxiety, everything is expressed through looks and cuts so the editing and the focus on the image is really important with Hitchcock. This also relates to, to that there's always something lurking underneath the surface. I think that you, you watch a movie and you think, oh, it's this thriller and he, he wants to kill his wife or whatever. But there's always so much psychological subtext underneath and it's it's about much more it's about it's about relationships and and the characters and their inner conflicts and demons and i think vertigo is an excellent example of all this also sexual repressed subtext and i think in hitchcock there's also a lot of, of homoerotic subtext in in many movies where 
but you really feel there is something else lurking underneath that also bursts out into violence at times, which makes it super interesting to watch. And it's so many, so on so many levels, you can you can read these movies. And you know, thinking of how many movies he made, I mean, such a massive body of work in general, spanning you know five decades and including countless masterpieces from so many different genres that I mentioned. Um, but having so many masterpieces in one body of work is just amazing. Even the mediocre Hitchcocks are still super interesting. And even, you know, the ones that are considered failures, especially at the end of his career, or maybe the more experimental ones he made in between, they're still great. There's still so much to, mm -hmm. to marvel at. What you just said, there's so much to see, so much to learn from. And I think that the Hitchcock, this is really this school for cinema on so many levels. From, from script preparation to storyboarding, the filming techniques, post-production. I think there's really so much art also in filmmaking that is even, as you said, in, in, the, in maybe the lesser ones, they're still so expertly done that it's always a joy to watch. And I think Hitchcock films, they are entertaining, they're fun, they're enjoyable to watch. And I'm a huge fan, of course, of his dark humor that we've mentioned before and this generally quite dark outlook on people. It's sometimes loving and sometimes it comes across as cynical. And he's so fascinated with the obsessions that his characters have and how they kind of get into trouble because of their obsessions. And I think he, he seems to understand people so, so well. How would you evaluate his influence on, on cinema or maybe other directors he he influenced or that maybe also copying him. Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Well, I think his influence has been enormous on cinema after him or even during his career. So, I mean, entire careers of international cinema have been made, you know, as the descendants of Hitchcock. François Truffaut was a huge fan and also made this famous interview with Hitchcock. He copied and, and was influenced by Hitchcock's style. Brian De Palma is often seen as the copycat Hitchcock and made an entire mm. career out of this. Claude Chabrol, another French director, made many films in the style of Hitchcock. Italy had its own Hitchcock. Dario Argento even made a 2005 movie called Do You Like Hitchcock? So even played on this ironically. And I would also say the entire James Bond series. If you look at North by Northwest or the 39 Steps, mm. I mean, pretty much the template for James Bond is to be found in Hitchcock down to the, you know, the helicopter chasing Bond in From Russia With Love, which is a, a ripoff of North by Northwest. Spy thrillers in general, you know, suspense as a cinematic method. He, he really defined what it was, but many are doing it the Hitchcock way. And I mean, look at look at some phrases that we use today. We say, you know, it was a Hitchcockian finale if there's like an exciting sports event or a, a political mm -hmm. debate or a, an election. So, I mean, he's become so important and part of popular culture that we sometimes forget about his work, but only look at him as a, as a figure, as an influential type of... Uh, movie director that is kind of the most iconic one of them all. And I think he also was very good in, in creating this brand 
of himself, that he made himself a brand and he made himself a household name and that his face was recognizable. I think there's also maybe not every director is as known visually as Alfred Hitchcock. I think also this is something which is genius from him to really marketing also his own personality so strongly, I think, through the television series and also his cameos and that people really recognize him as as Alfred Hitchcock. And from a recent biography I read on him, it's also that this is really when his career took off. Even though he had marketed himself, you know, with these cameos before, even during his British period and in Hollywood, it was really the mid-1950s with Alfred Hitchcock Presents where he entered the living rooms of so many um, families and, and people where his even his silhouette and his, his figure and his voice became just so world famous. But let's go back into some of his movies. And I think it's it's time to reevaluate some of them and, and rate them and see where we stand on our favorites. And we chose two prime examples of his work. I chose as a movie close-up Rear Window. And I think this movie is often hailed as one of Hitchcock's like masterpieces. And I don't think it's that hard to see why. The story revolves around Jimmy Stewart as photographer who is bedridden after a broken leg. So he's in this cast and he can't leave the apartment. And to pass the time, he observes through his lens the neighboring flats on the other side of the courtyard. And one day he thinks he might have witnessed a murder. So he thinks that a neighbor killed his wife. Unable to leave the flat, he employs the help of his girlfriend, played by Grace Kelly. And he brings them both in great danger. And I think that's the premise of, of the movie without spoiling too much. The movie for me combines a lot of Hitchcock's strength and also what we discussed before. I think there's a domestic setting and in this basically everything is shot in the studio a lot. But there's so many levels where the story works. I think it's a romance, but it's also a thriller. It says something about our everyday voyeurism and, and curiosity and also this break of or this intrusion of intimacy, which is um, somehow feels scandalous to observe neighbors and their lives. It's also comment on, on filmmaking itself and, and a movie audience that we watch a movie. So we are also voyeurs in that sense. So I think there's so many layers you, you can read the movie. And I think we've all become voyeurs in that sense. And together with James Stewart, we... We, we align with him and we also get, how can I say, we, we really made voyeurs in that sense. We're not, we, we see everything through James Stewart. And, and I think the movie is not only a suspenseful thriller, but it also works so well because the characters are so real and relatable. Also, Grace Kelly never looked more beautiful than, than in this movie. <laughs> a few other movies, they have this perfect script, the perfect cast and this immediate connection and reaction like Rear Window has. And I think it's really this prime example of Hitchcock's filmmaking. And in my book, a definite jewel in his very successful later Hollywood years in the 1950s. And what about your choice, Sam, The Lady Vanishes? Tell us more. Well, I decided to focus on an early instance of Hitchcock's genius, his 1938 hit, The Lady Vanishes. It was the most successful movie of 1938 in Britain at the time. Deservedly so, because all of Hitchcock's genius is on full display here. 
It's about a group of trained passengers that is stranded in a winter blizzard and has to overnight in a strangely sounding country somewhere on the Balkans, one thinks. The next day, a young dancer who has befriended an elderly lady is hit over the head and loses her consciousness. On the continued train journey, once the train is out of the snow, the elderly lady, Miss Freud, mysteriously disappears and the girl starts a more and more frantic search for her. Has she only imagined Miss Freud, as all the other passengers try to make her believe, or has she become the witness of an elaborate spy intrigue? It was released on the eve of World War II, and The Lady Vanishes is Hitchcock's best example of an entertaining, thrilling, fun ride. It's, it's confined to just a few train compartments and he spends quite an incredible spy mystery with many twists and turns. Yet again, it's not espionage that matters, but rather this young girl searching for her own sanity and this charming Miss Freud. The film features a lot of coy dialogue and wonderful scenes of dark humor and again witty observations of characters, great side characters and very tight script writing. And I think if one should watch only one film of his British period, which would be a shame because there are so many great ones also among his silent movies, it should definitely be The Lady Vanishes. I agree, that's a, a great one. And we discussed that there's so, it's a huge body of work. So I don't think we can leave our listeners with just these two recommendations. So maybe let's just continue with three other movies we would say hey, go and watch these three movies from Hitchcock. This is our recommendation. And maybe if you have an additional fourth as, as like an underrated gem or a curious find or maybe a more obscure uh, movie. A guilty pleasure. A guilty pleasure, exactly. A guilty pleasure, always good. Which movies would you recommend? Well, if someone asks me, first of all, you know, what should be the three or four movies I should watch? I think there's kind of a starter package with Hitchcock. And I think... You can watch Hitchcock movies without having seen Psycho, Vertigo, Rear Window, and North by Northwest. Personally, even though I admire all four of them immensely, and we have previously named Vertigo as you know my all-time favorite film, we talked about Psycho as an enormously influential and timeless psycho-thriller, I think North by Northwest is kind of the epitome of Hitchcock cinema, and Rear Window, I've often said, is kind of the best film of all time. But I thought for this episode, I'd give like a different selection. So my first choice actually is Shadow of a Doubt. It's also one of his best. It's the story of two Charlies. Teenage girl Charlie, played by Teresa Wright, and her uncle Charlie, played by Joseph Cotton. It's a great example of Hitchcock's love for suburban domestic crime stories and is both an endearing family story and a dark view into the houses and backyards of 1940s America. What would be your first choice and recommendation? I definitely agree with what you said on, on this starter package of Psycho, Vertigo, Rear Window, North by Northwest. And I, I think the beauty of Hitchcock's body of work is really that there's so many gems to discover. You've never, somehow you never really finished with watching new Hitchcock movies. 
I think I would opt for some slightly more offbeat recommendations, I guess, but they all revolve around these personal conflicts and moral ambiguities. My first pick would be Strangers on a Train, which is a neat little thriller um, with this suspenseful concept of two strangers meeting on a train and then they're agreeing on killing someone else, uh, someone the other one wants to be gone. It stars Farley Granger as, as a very handsome young tennis player um, who gets into this moral whirlwind and this plot of moral ambiguity. And I think it's, it's very nicely done. It's really closing the viewer more and more into this, this story. And I think it's not such a, a well-known Hitchcock movie, but I think it's still definitely worth a watch. I totally agree. And I think, you know, when we agreed to make this list and we kind of coordinated which ones would be on the list, I had to leave out Strangers on a Train, but it would definitely be also on, on the list of my at least 10 favorites. I picked another 1940s example, the spy drama Notorious, starring Ingrid Bergman and Cary Grant, two of his favorite actors in full form. Ingrid Bergman plays the daughter of a Nazi who tries to clear her name by spying on a Nazi organization for the Americans. And her contact, Cary Grant, is in love with her, but almost trusts her too late and she's almost poisoned by the Nazi gangsters. And what comes across as a spy thriller is actually a very moving tale of a woman trying to clear her name and, and find redemption. So there's again this personal conflict in the shape of a spy thriller, but it's really about her and there are these fairy tale qualities to it at the same time. It's a beautiful movie, love it. And Ingrid Bergman is great. Yeah, she's never been more beautiful, I think. I think the scene in where she's drunk and you know, and then with the key, I think that plays a great part in the movie as well. It's a key scene. It's a key scene, definitely. My next pick would be Dial M for Murder with Grace Kelly that sees her as the victim of a plot conducted by her own husband to kill her. But then she survives the attack and she plots somehow uh, another ploy to to get uh, the husband into the trap. And I think it's, it's, it's a neat little thriller again. I think initially shot in 3D at the height of this first 3D craze in, in the mid-1950s. Dilemma for Murder is really this compact thriller. I think it has a very tight script. It's almost like play. You don't have a lot of set changes. It's really in this, in this flat. Um, and also I think the time it really evolves within 24 hours or, or two days. I think it's really very tight, very in the moment. And I, I think it's what many Hitchcock movies really have, and also this is a prime example, is this the thrill of this domestic setting that has gone bad, there's something going wrong. And I think, yeah, just the concept that a husband wants to kill his wife, I think is, is the ultimate domestic uh, setting gone wrong. And I think the movie is, is great, has beautiful technicolor images. And um, Grace Kelly is just a stunner. I picked a third Hitchcock movie as my favorite. And the recommendation and that would be one of his last movies, Frenzy. It's a dark and at times even cynical view of early 1970s London with a necktie murderer on the loose. It was, first of all, Hitchcock's take on this new trend, this new Hollywood style. But he then went back to his home area of Covent Garden, where he actually grew up as a boy. 
And it's so deliciously mean, it's shockingly dark and at times even radical in its depiction of human relations and the violence between them. But at the same time, at its core, it sums up all of Hitchcock's favorite motifs. There's the wrongfully accused, there's a devious killer, there are feisty dames, and the witty police officer and his wonderfully quirky gourmet wife. It's definitely a late masterpiece that I would highly recommend. My third choice is another wife killer movie starring Cary Grant and Joan Fontaine in Suspicion, where a rich heiress has the uneasy feeling that he, her seemingly perfect husband might be after her life. Hitchcock plays with the expectations and suspicions of his heroine as well as the audience, and a glass of milk has never looked more frightening. I think it's a very nice thriller again, a little murder mystery, and Cary Grant is, I think, a very nice cast as this seemingly perfect, pretty, perfect boy or husband. And, and underneath lurks all this potential vile and devious behavior. So I think, again, there is this really nice foil of what you see is not necessarily what you get and or what might be behind it. And Suspicion is, is a nice, nice thriller from the 40s. Good choice indeed. You also chose a Guilty Pleasure Hitchcock. What's your Guilty Pleasure Hitchcock? My Guilty Pleasure Hitchcock would be Marnie, I would say. I think Marnie, on one hand, it's good, but on the other hand, it's also bad. And I think the bad side is a little bit bigger. There are many things that seem very wrong when you watch this movie these days. It's, it's the story of a kleptomaniac woman who has deep, deep psychological problems and she's traumatized and she has this um, aversion against the color red. And there's also, again, another overbearing mother in, in the story and, and she, she falls in love, well, force falls in love with, with Sean Connery. And I think that the, the plot never really adds up to anything. And I think there are also a lot of misogynist tensions in this movie. And it's a drama, but it's also very campy in a way. I think a lot of things are exaggerated. And, and, and Tippi Hedren is also not the best actress in the world, let's be honest. So I think it's, it's a little bit too much this role for her to play. So there, there, there is this camp coming into the movie, which I personally love. That's why it's also my guilty pleasure, because I think the movie is entertaining, but at times in the wrong way. And if you think of how often we have referenced Marnie together, so it's really this iconic bad Hitchcock movie that has brilliant elements and is so dramatic and over the top. Um, even the score, you know, Bernard Herrmann's last official Hitchcock score is so overly romantic. It's, it like brings tear to your eyes, like both from embarrassment and beauty and admiration. So actually that, that fits together with my guilty pleasure choice because I actually chose the first movie that Bernard Herrmann scored for Hitchcock, the comedy that is little loved, but I think is brilliant, which is The Trouble with Harry. It's just a lovely example of what capacity he had for small-scale, dark humor and this, at this point, loving outlook on his quirky characters. They're basically all movie long struggling to cover up a dead body that keeps appearing and disappearing. 
there's Shirley MacLaine in one of her first major roles, and there's John Forsyth of later dynasty fame in this New England setting. And the autumn photography is just absolutely stunning. It was the first Vista Vision Hitchcock movie um, and many others like Vertigo followed. And it's absolutely stunning to watch. And at the same time, it's so intimate and funny and quirky. And Bernard Herrmann's music really adds to that atmosphere of comedy, fun, but also endearing moments of village life. It's almost like little paintings coming alive. And it's not about much, but it just shows Hitchcock could do anything, even comedy that isn't about much. I don't think it's a very memorable film, to be honest. I've seen it many years ago, but I, I to be honest, I couldn't remember a thing apart from the the New England autumn photography that you mentioned. It's all you need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I think there's always this room for discussions. But Hitchcock is really uh, a director that keeps on giving. I think you can really... This, I, I feel I've seen a lot of Hitchcock movies, but there's still so, so many I haven't seen. So I think that's really something to discover and you can keep on discovering and also by re-watching movies you've seen again I think you really really discover something more every time you you see them. I think Hitchcock are also a mood movie so for me whenever fall comes around I put on The Trouble with Harry because it's the perfect fall movie and I think there's a lot of movies that you can watch depending on which mood you're in and whether you feel like watching a something comedic or thrilling or dramatic and Hitchcock has everything to offer it's like film history not in a nutshell because it's over 50 movies but it's it as you say correctly it keeps on giving and I've recently started watching his television output and it's just amazing how many small stories of domestic intrigue he puts into those I think it's over 200 different episodes, 20 of which he directed himself and all of which he pre-selected for, for filming, for production. But Andy, there was one final question I wanted to ask you. So we've done our first master director. So where are we going to go next? And which is the first director that you want to focus on that you love or have started to love recently? Well, I think we, we started out with Hitchcock, which of course is, is a great director. And I think it was also, you're also a very much an expert on that. I think we will talk about Federico Fellini in our next episode, the Italian filmmaker who was very famous in the 1950s, 60s and throughout the 70s, even to the 80s. I think it's a different kind of director, but definitely a master director as well. And I'm curious to see what we will discover next time when we will be again ready for close-up. Thank you very much, Sam. Looking forward to it. I'll be ready for close-up. And I hope this program has helped dramatize some of the frightening aspects of the problem. Good night. Mm -hmm.